Carl Sandburg once said, there is an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. This describes probably most, if not all of us, to a T. All of us show up saying, I want to be a better person. I want to grow. I want to change. But then there's that default that comes in, right? The lazy side of us, and we're just kind of on a coast and go through the motions and all of us, as we posture ourselves toward 2019, like we want to go out, like we want this to be the year where we experience more change, more growth than ever before. None of us want 2019 to be the year of the hippo, so to speak. Hippos are mean anyway, right? So you shouldn't, shouldn't want to be a mean person. So here's the first truth we need to acknowledge. We all want to change. I hope that we all want to change. In the United States alone, we spend $10 billion a year on self-improvement. Right? All of us, to some degree, are contributing probably to this number. We rely on books, seminars or conferences, life coaches alone to change us. And none of those, on their own or even collectively, are bad things. I love to read. I read all the time. I love to go to conferences or seminars, you know, although I've gotten to a point where I realize that a lot of those are for people that don't actually read. In life coaches, we need people speaking into our lives, serving as guides. But when we depend on those avenues alone, what we're saying is that all I need is more or new information. If I just learn more, the knowledge enough would be sufficient for change. We think that new information is the key. The problem, we become educated beyond the level of our obedience. We become educated beyond the level of our obedience. So, you know, as I've been preparing this series of messages, it's been very convicting to me. Because, again, I read all the time, and I love to learn. I love to learn about new things and, and to, to, to research and read commentaries, all that kind of stuff. And, man, I could totally just kind of settle in, like, okay, I'm a new, I'm a changed person because I've gathered all of this fascinating information. That's part of it. But if we make it the end of growth itself, then we become way educated beyond our level of obedience. So here's the second truth. Self-improvement is a fallacy. Self-improvement is a fallacy. We all lack the power to change ourselves. Not one single person. Here at Burlington, here at Union, say, you know what? I think I have it within me to experience change, and I can go at this by myself. In fact, researchers of alcoholics have been annoyed for years that the determining factor in the success of Alcoholics Anonymous has been belief in a higher power. Right, and many of you, right, you go to these meetings and you understand the essence, the importance of a belief in a higher power. And this annoys researchers because they want to believe that science alone can get you there. Willpower alone, hard work, habits and disciplines alone can get you there. It can't. So we all want to change. But we must understand that what, or more specifically, who, is actually going to get us there. Along with understanding what, or who, we need to desire more than change itself. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger or thirst for righteousness. What is it that you hunger for, that you thirst for, that you long for? So here's the operating truth that we're going to look at throughout this series. Your identity is reflected more in what you desire and long for than in what you know or believe. And so we're going to to, you know, serious examination over the coming weeks about what it is that we're longing for, what is it that we're desiring. Because if we just believe that we need to know more or we have proper understanding, then we're placing a low ceiling on our growth. Now, consider for a second the motivation behind obedience out of obligation versus obedience out of love. The motivation for one is reward, 
or avoidance of punishment, right? The motivation for the other is the desire to please or to be connected to. Parents, you get this better than anybody else. A teenager who obeys just so you as his or her parents will leave him alone, right? That's their motivation for obedience. I just want my parents to leave me alone, right? Give me my space. I'll do whatever you say. Versus the teenager who obeys because to disobey is to disrupt the relationship he actually cares about. The foundation is love. And you don't want there to be that disruption. Likewise, we too often reduce following Christ to the transaction of the forgiveness of our sins. Right? And so, again, I can say this is a safe place. Many of the people that need to hear this, right? They're like, okay, yeah, we'll, go get, we'll get back to church you know, next week. And so we, many of you coming at what we consider to be the dead week of the year to church, right? You understand the discipline of coming, even when it, you're cold, uh, you're tired, right? We've all eaten too much, right? It's just, it's, this is one of the easiest weeks of the entire year to be lazy. And, and here you are at the 930, right? Props to you, 930 service. And so you understand the discipline of making that movement to say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to center myself on what matters the most. And so for many of you, your faith is far from merely transactional. But oftentimes in in the church world and as Christians, we settle for salvation when God's desire for us is transformation. Salvation's a big deal, right? Maybe your first time guest, I hope that there's several here today at Burlington and at Union, and you hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, that he saves you from your sin. That is the good news, but that's the beginning, not the end. And so it's, it's far from being transactional. Okay, well, how do I, how do I get salvation? How, how can I you know, experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Yes, sign me up for that. But don't just add it to the life that you're already living. There's a bigger goal that God has in mind for you. There's the big word for this is sanctification. It's the process of being made holy, of becoming Christ-like, of reflecting him in your everyday life. And the process is the submission of every part of our lives to him. This daily awareness as we commit to walking with him. So in the series, that's what we're, we're getting the parameters, the structure. We're going to get very detailed and practical in the coming weeks of how can I actually walk with God in literally every area of my life? Because that's what it's going to take to grow. We all know it's going to take time. All of us have the, have the exact same amount of time. But all of us also already know that we take time. We already do this. We already take time for what we actually value the most. You do. You can look at your, your calendar, right, how you spend your time. Like, we all have the exact same amount of time. So to say we don't have time isn't actually true. Because whatever it is we value the most, we're going to take time for it. In fact, this past week, maybe some of you saw this story. I think it was on several uh, websites. I came across it, I think, on, on CNN or whatever it was. This dad, uh, who has a daughter that's a flight attendant, uh, he bought six plane tickets over Christmas Day and the day after Christmas just to spend time with his daughter. <laughs> that's an awesome dad, right? There he is, you know, going back and forth, right? Bought six plane tickets so that he could spend that time with his daughter. Why? Because he, he, that's what he values the most, right? Time. What he didn't do, right? The flight attendant's dad didn't just sit at home on Christmas Day reading a book on how to become a good dad. Not a bad thing. Not the best thing, right? I read, read books, you know, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband, right? And that's great information, right? But if the fullness, the end of that, is just new information, then I'm not actually a good dad. (laughs) He could have done that. That's not not a bad thing. He's like, I understand what it means to be a good dad. I'm going to go be a good dad. I'm going to buy six plane tickets. Probably not the most economical decision that I've made. But Christmas Day and the day after Christmas, I'm spending that time with my daughter. So our challenge, as we consider what's at stake here, our growth, 
Our challenge is this, focus more on prioritizing what you love, more on what you love than on what you think. See, too often we try to think our way into new behaviors. I just need, gotta read that book, gotta get that information, gotta, right, gotta sign up for that, gotta get that plan. When we do this, we rely on information and willpower alone. Just reducing change to trying harder. It's not gonna happen. What needs to change in order for us to actually change are the desires of our heart. Right, we're doing serious heart work. Author James Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love. He said, you are what you love because you live toward what you want. So whatever it is that we naturally long for or desire, we're going to live toward that. And we don't have to try hard at that because it's, our heart is already postured toward it. So this year, what you love the most, what you long for, will determine the person that you continue to become. So the question for us today is, which is greater? Which desire is greater? Is it your desire to change? Right, that, that's probably pretty high this time of year. Or is your desire to love God more? Is that even, even greater? See, the pathway to change that matters always goes through God. It does. This is the way that we have been created. So I want to give you a tool, and we'll post this online as well, you know, on Facebook and this is an assessment that you can do, right? And we'll mention this again next week, again, for those other people that will be joining us. Uh, but we have this link, gospelforlife.com forward slash assessment. And so if you do this, it's like a, a four to five minute deal. You're going to kind of assess where you are, right? The goal is to be as honest as possible. Leave that up here for a second in case people can get that on your phone or write it down. You're, it's going to assess where you are intellectually, spiritually, physically, mentally, relationally. Like, okay, where am I actually, right? We got to get a, a base for, okay, where am I now? Where do I want to grow? And so hopefully you, you hop online and you take that, you know, very short assessment uh, because you, you, you're as honest as possible with yourself, right? We don't say, okay, I feel like I did pretty good. I want to do better. No, we need to get specific. We need to evaluate where we actually are. So now as we turn the corner, look at some scripture to, to set this up, to really cultivate the ground, so to speak, we need to, to think about how is it that we actually change, how do we grow? Again, assuming that we all want to grow. See, we instinctively believe that the pathway to change is trying harder, right? If, you know, somebody just showing up for the world for the first time, never been to church, like, I'm just going to try really hard to change. More willpower is the key. When the reality is, it's exactly the opposite. And this is, this is a difficult conversation, you know, sometimes because, again, if somebody's new to church, like, well, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But this is, again, just the way that God designed us. Right? And so we can't actually get to where we want to be as, 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 as people without the help of God himself. See, change, what I mean is change happens through surrender. Change actually happens in giving up, which seems like, sounds like the opposite of trying harder. But again, the way that God has created us is for him to be the, the power, the motivation within us. Now, more specifically, 2019 needs to be a year of abiding. Here's how we change. Here's how we grow. John chapter 15, verses four and five. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Now, depending on the translation you're reading, abide could, could read remain. Abide or remain in me and I in you. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? That's very clear. Like, okay, know your role, right? I am, I'm the one who brings change, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
Now, the literal word nothing, you know, again, if you're hearing this for the first time, it's like, well, yeah, I can do something. I feel like I've been doing something. Yeah, technically you could do something, but this scripture speaks into the fact that we can do nothing of actual value, nothing that matters beyond our own selves. So abiding or remaining really implies dependence. But if you think about the, the practical nature of abiding, it, it's not reciprocal. The branch is dependent on the vine, but the vine is not dependent on the branch, right? Think about that. The, the branch is dependent on the vine for life itself, but the vine is not dependent on the branch, right? This is a very humbling thing. God doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. No, he, he chooses us. Branches are dead and useless on their own, as the vine is what gives the branch life and purpose. It's only in what we remain in, what we're connected to, that determines our value. Now, I want to bear fruit, right? I believe that you want to bear fruit, what that means is that we, we're living in such a way where our lives are producing things of value, right? The fruits of the Spirit. We all want to make a difference in the ways that matter most. And it's humbling to know that the only way to do that is not by our own willpower, but instead our willingness to abide, to remain. And so maybe you've heard people before, maybe you've said this yourself, like, ah, Christianity is just a crutch, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're leaning on God with everything that we have. We're putting our full weight, all right, posture of surrender into him. So the reality is we need to quit trying to be a vine when the only way to live a life of meaning and growth is to be a branch. Right, again, understanding our role. We cannot stand alone. We cannot change on our own. Came across an interesting story. I wasn't actually familiar um, with, with this fact. The tree of Tenere, maybe some of you have heard of the tree of Tenere, used to be in Africa. have a picture of this. Unfortunately, it's no longer there. But this tree, called the tree of Tenere, uh, is, was a, the, the world's most isolated tree uh, for a long time. It's an acacia tree. And some interesting facts about this acacia tree. And by what I read, the 20th century desertification, I think I'm saying that right, had wiped out all but this one solitary tree. And so it became known as the tree of Tenere, sat alone on this landscape of 400 kilometers, 250 miles in, in every direction, right? This is the only tree. Now its roots reach nearly 40 meters deep into the sand. That's over 131 feet, which is almost half the length of a football field, Right? So what you see above pales in comparison to what's actually happening beneath the surface, how far the roots actually go. So this is how the tree, one single tree, survived the elements, through deep roots stretched down to find water. These roots stretched down so far, in fact, that this tree was able to survive even when nothing else has. Now, you heard me mention that the tree is no longer there, which is a major bummer, especially when you find out why. In 1973, a drunk driver hit the tree. Are you kidding me? 250 miles on either side. Bro, that's unbelievable. I was surprised how sad I was to read that, that little fact. Like, oh, the cute little tree of Tenere, great, great little story. And then drunk driver, 1973, just ran right into it. Like, man, that's, that's some serious bad luck for that tree. But interesting story. Nonetheless, here's the point. Why do we need to grow deep? You already understand this. Why do we need to grow deep? Because that's where the water is. That's where the water is, right? We need, we need deep roots. We need to work on what's beneath the surface. In a world where 
people say pay so much so close attention to what's above the surface, right? Our social media generation. We portray, we put out there what people can see, right? And so people feel pressure like never before to try to be somebody, to paint the perfect picture of their life. And so we spend so much time and effort on what's above the surface because that's where we gain approval and unfortunately look for our significance when really it's underneath the surface, the roots that we establish that determines our actual identity, our significance. And so that's why we're doing some serious root work because that's where the water is found. In fact, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is very clear. He says, I am the living water. You want, you want water that, that fulfills, that satisfies? Abide, remain in me. If you cling to me, then you are connected to living water itself. This is how we experience life to the full. This is how we actually grow. Colossians 2, verse 7, I love how forthright this is, this visual. It says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Which I, that's kind of a separate message there, but I love that the, the outflow, the overflow of this posture, the solid foundation where our roots are deepened into Christ or the natural uh, the evidence of that will be the characteristic of gratitude itself. You, know, you ever been around grateful people, right? They're not scrambling. They're not striving to put their best self out there and gain approval. They're just walking around grateful because they have a solid foundation. <laughs> they're looking through the proper lens, the proper perspective of understanding that if they're abiding, remaining in God, then they're naturally grateful that they have life itself and they even have the opportunity to grow. It's no small thing. Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being, right? We're clinging to Christ. To allow God to conform our desires to his desires is to find our identity in him. And so that's why, again, it's so important to show up to church every single week. I don't know about you. It's like, all right, this is a reminder, not my life, but his. I'm choosing again to surrender my life to God. So our goal in the series is not to just act differently. Don't miss this. Our goal is not to just change, to act differently, to be different people. Our goal is to desire to act differently. <laughs> Our primary efforts this year should not be aimed at change. I want to be a different person. I want to be a new person. No, instead, our efforts are aimed at surrender. I want to give my life up to God more than ever before. See, full surrender to God is what is needed in order to truly grow so that he can change our desires. So what happens is God shapes our hearts so that we love what he loves and desire what he desires. Psalm 37.4, many of you might already be familiar with, but sometimes we get this backwards. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So some of you are already tracking, you know how we all have gotten this backwards, like, oh, I, I know the desires of my heart. Okay, I'm going to be glad in God, so he gives me the desires of my heart. No, we're glad in God, we take delight in him, so that he can change our desires to be aligned with what he desires for our lives. So we're saying, God, I... I know what I desire, I know how I'd like to change, but regardless, I'm surrendering my life to you, open to you speaking into my life and revealing how you want me to change so that I desire what you desire for my life. We want what we want. We go around the room, Burlington Union, everybody say, yeah, this is what I want. So we want what we want and we hope that God blesses our wants and desires, but it's backwards. First step to change that leads to growth is to desire God more than you desire change so that you can actually change in all the ways that matter most. Only through this posture of surrender and abiding in Christ can our desires change. See, there's no such thing as a good Christian. 
My parents say, uh, I hope that, you know, my daughter, you know, grows up to, to, to find a good Christian man. There's no such thing as a good Christian. Think about that phrase itself, right? I know we've all said that, right? It doesn't mean you have to stop saying it's a bad phrase. But think about what, what, what we're meaning. Somebody who behaves in the right way. It's behavior-oriented. But it's really kind of redundant. <laughs> a good Christian. No, we're either, we're either following Christ or we're not. We're either living a fully surrendered life or we're not. So don't reduce success as a Christ follower to mere church attendance or good behavior when God is calling you to surrender. See, when we gather like this, this isn't the fullness of our faith. It's the beginning of our posture of surrender. It's setting us up for a more surrendered week. As we walk, we aim to walk with Christ. So he doesn't want you to just oblige and behave, right? Like, okay, what, God, how am I supposed to act rightly so I'm right in your eyes? He doesn't want you to just oblige and behave. He wants you to abide and be transformed. He wants you to want differently. So for all of us, we, we have different gaps that we need to fill, right? Some of you are already there, right? Like, okay, yeah, I've, I've processed this, or I'm part of a small group, and I've really dug into this. Well, this is, we have a long way to go, right? It's understanding that it begins with stopping. This is what I love about the fact that you all came, right, during this, quote, dead week to church. Like, you made a decision to stop. God, what do you want for my life? I think I know what I want, but God, I'm here to, to ask you, what do you want for my life? It's a posture of surrender, beginning to open yourself up to God's desire for your life. So here's where we begin. Let me close with something very practical. And again, we're going <laughs> to, I feel like I've said this often today, we're going to come back and remind everybody next week of this as well. When it comes to spiritual growth, and this might be the most important thing I literally say all year, which includes next year because two days left, that's kind of obvious. This is the most important thing I'm going to say for the rest of the year. <laughs> wow, it's really profound. I'm paying attention now. When it comes to your spiritual growth, in 2019, there is nothing more important that you can do than read your Bible. This is an opinion-based, it is research-based, but it's not just, the, ju- not just that. But anybody who has consistently read their Bible can give you direct personal evidence of how it will change your life. And again, this is where we veer into territory where we could go on for a long time. We think that it's primarily knowledge-based. And that reading your Bible is very intimidating, right? You know, I, I grew up in the church, I went to Bible college, and I still open up you know, certain passages in the Old Testament. And you're like, really, that kind of God? Like, what in the world does that mean? And so this is, you're going to veer into this territory if you commit to this discipline of reading your Bible. And, and it's gonna, you're going to lose motivation if you're focused on knowledge alone. Like, I, I don't get it, it's too hard, I don't understand it. But, and again, those of you that have walked this discipline, you understand that oftentimes when you read your Bible, you open it up to read, and you don't understand, you don't process, you, you weren't emotionally moved, you feel like it didn't really make a difference, you're still making the decision to show up to God, to walk with Him. You're saying, God, today, I'm opening up your word that is living and breathing and active. This isn't a mere historical document that has, you know, facts and stats. You're like, oh, that's, that's a nice story. God, you know, thank you. Okay, got my Bible reading time in, right? There'll be some days where you're like, okay, it's a discipline. I'm just showing up and I'm scrambling. I'm not into it, whatever. But it's the discipline of, you know, on a larger scale, showing up to God himself to allow him to shape you. So at both campuses, uh, we have uh, three Bible reading plan options, right? And not all the options, but try to make it as simple as possible. So I know that there's people, I don't know how many at each campus, you've never read your Bible before, you've never had that discipline. So the first Bible reading option, you can pick this paper up, right? This is the free part, right? It's not the, the sermon notes, it's something different. It's just a sheet of paper. You can you know, look it up on, on, on the internet as well if you want to look at other plans. The first one, if you've never read your Bible, I want to encourage you to pick this reading plan up, five minutes a day. 
You take five minutes a day throughout 2019, you will have read through the entire New Testament. That's a good place to start. It's a realistic place to start. Now, a second option is, is what's called a chronological Bible reading plan. Many of you have done this before, and it's very interesting. Some of you, you're going to hear news where you're like, really, you just, the Bible's that much more complicated? Well, yeah, it's true. So I hate to you know, give this new information to you, but here's the reality. The Bible is mostly in order, but not fully in order. I know I'm complicating things, but the chronological Bible reading plan lays Scripture out in the, the order of the events that actually, the way that they happen. And so this chronological Bible reading plan is a daily reading where you will end up reading through the entire Bible over the course of 2019. That's the second option. If you've never done that before, it can be very interesting, very fascinating to read it in that specific order. Here's a third option that I'm assuming will be the most popular option. Here's why. Because it's a 25 days a month reading plan. Right? You know, we all know how this goes, right? Man, January 3rd, three days in a row. January 4th, oh man, I forgot to read my Bible. Just wad it up, throw it away. Didn't get it done. 25 day a month reading plan. That sounds like something a little more appealing. So this reading plan, it's a daily reading plan, a mix of Old Testament and New Testament scripture. And over the course of the year, right, if you do 25 days a month, you will have read through the entire Bible. And so that third option is there as well. Now, uh, when he was currently looking or, or updating like the, the, uh, the font, because it was we probably should have passed out magnifying glasses, you know, but uh, heads up, you know, on that. And so we're going to have these out next week as well. So if you look at it, you're like, yeah, it's really small font, uh, you know, come back next week and, and we'll get you situated here. Now, for me personally, just, you know, I know I'm throwing a lot of different options at you. Uh, I'm, my Bible reading plan, I, I've never done this before. I picked up a reader's Bible and it doesn't have chapters or verses. So I'll, I'll let you know next year, like, how this is going. Uh, this isn't, like, out there, but you can just Google Reader's Bible. And I'm just interested to see uh, the, the kind of freshness, you know, of perspective of looking at my Bible without chapters and verses. You know, I'm assuming that there's going to be a better flow, so I'm looking forward to, to kind of reading through Scripture that way. Last one I'll mention, you know, for those of you, because we live in this day and age, and uh, I, I do feel like there's, there's something with, about having a physical Bible in your hands, right? I, I love that. But the day and age we live in, and this is a good thing because more people can read the Bible, you can get it on your phone, an app. This, I'll put this on the, web, on, the, on the also the website, but also the screen today. It's called YouVersion. Many of you know about this. Uh, don't miss this opportunity. You know, and many of you are probably the same way. You're like, yeah, I'm sticking with the physical Bible. But if you find yourself kind of caught somewhere where you don't have your Bible with you, it probably have your phone with you, you can open up this app, right? So you just type in YouVersion, right? You go to the apps. And now within that app, there are Bible reading plan options there as well. So that practically, you know, and I would encourage those of us that, you know, are just saying, no, I'm just going to read my physical Bible, still download this because it's just the convenience of it, right? You get that 25-day-a-month reading plan, you're back five days or whatever, you, 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 know, you get your phone, and you're like, okay, I'm going I'm to lock in. I'm going to make the most of this, this five minutes that I have waiting on something. So what we're doing, and then we're going to get into a lot of specifics when it comes to habits and disciplines in, in several different areas of, of our lives, is we're disciplining our minds, right? We're establishing that habit, that over time it just becomes part of what we do, but more significantly, who we are. This is a big deal. So then we're having a different conversation a year from now because like, well, yeah, I'm already doing that. And it's technically not effort because I'm showing up to it. It's, I'm understanding what my life looks like if I'm abiding, remaining in the living water that is reflected in Scripture. That is time with God. 
And it's underneath the surface. <laughs> this is the essence, you know, the, the, the crazy part about Bible reading and prayer. It's like, well, I'm not putting anything out there that the world can see and can affirm, right? That's what we're inclined to, our culture at large. This is, you know, behind closed doors. Nobody else knows this time that I'm spending, and this is the most important time that I'm spending because I'm cultivating a new heart, habits and disciplines, posturing toward this abiding, this remaining, this surrendering posture toward God. There is nothing more important. And I'm telling you, reading your Bible is the number one discipline, the number one spiritual habit that will make a significant difference in your walk with Christ and your overall spiritual growth. So don't miss that opportunity.